folks, welcome inside the Parisi Palace, high above 3773 East Broadway. This is a live edition of the Jake Feinberg Show, comedy on Power Talk. Please go to our website, powertalk.live. Download our free app to your smartphone so you can stream all of our live local programming, including Solomon on Blast, the Jim Parisi Show, and yours truly, the Jake Feinberg Show. And we can't thank you enough for making us part of your day today. And without further ado, I want to bring in a... A uh, musician who's been performing on the bandstand for decades. Um, she's uh, really always needing to get stuff out of her system, um, playing in a blues bag. But on the Jake Feinberg show, we know that really it's all music. And then the, the subjective part is that it's either good or bad. And what I like most about my next guest is that um, her music is fantastic. But the vibe that she brings um, to the stage uh, allows the collective consciousness of the band to be raised it then bleeds out into the audience and then comes back to the band, which is ultimately um, what the magic of music is all about. Cara Granger, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Oh, hey, Jake. Yeah, thanks for having me. We have a game on this program called Name That Voice. I want to put this in for you right now. Um, I don't really, I'm not really uh, expecting you to know who it is, but pay attention to the content and we'll come back and break it down. Well, my, neither of my parents, they both, my father was Cherokee. He didn't grow up uh, in a Cherokee community on a reservation, but he held a lot of the values, the spiritual values of the Cherokee Nation. My father was also a Baptist preacher, and so I think, I think that the, the greatest, Thing was that, that came from my dad was to grow up with him explaining living our Christian religion, but also telling us that there it's the same thing. We're you know I think those who are on a spiritual path not always are religious, um, but but with us it what we were both, and he would help us understand how there was God and everything, everything around us. My Indian grandmother did the same thing. She would come and take us all into the woods in the winter when it was cold and everything was was dry and no there was no apparent life in the in the woods and she would say, Get something that you think is ugly <laughs> and we would gather this baskets of these gnarly looking burrs and sticks and things and we go back to our house and and Mama her name we called her Mama Coolidge and she would arrange all of these things in 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 beauty. Yeah, um if you dropped out, um I'm gonna see uh say something about Mama Coolidge. So that yeah, that, so that was Rita Coolidge uh, from my interview with her from um, uh, March of 2016, and and really, Carl, what I wanted to ask you about is um, the 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 moment in your early life that you realized uh, the spiritual qualities of music. All right, I guess that's what she's talking about in that um, little section there. So, uh, yeah, when did I, did you say, when did I realize it? When did I discover it? How did I discover it? What was your question? 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that, the, you know, I don't know what generation I'm 41, but, you know, like younger generations, especially that their intentions for getting into music oftentimes from the MTV era or what they see on TV is, you know, the, the overnight success, uh, you know, um, money, fame, fortune, uh, when in fact, the magic of music, the spiritual qualities of music, the calling of music, did you have a calling for it? Can you give an example when you were younger, when you realized that even though there was no logic to it, this was your true nature? Um, No, I really just did it for um, my own enjoyment as a child, and it definitely um, elevated me and made me feel good. Uh, it was very soothing for me to sing and play music. It was very calming, all of those things. So I didn't realize when I was doing it that it possibly was something that was good for my spirit and my soul at the same time. But um, you know, as I got a little older, maybe I, I realized that uh, I was giving myself some spiritual food by um, you know, delving into music. I mean, but you are a full-time musician, and and for most people, um, a lot more. I mean, most of the cats I've talked to, it's almost like celibacy for a priest in the sense that um, it's a journey and it's a calling, and it's something that you know basically, um, you know, there's no guarantees, there's no there's no backstop. Uh, you have to go for it. Uh, can you talk about the point when you when you made that? Uh, when that realization came to you? Um, well, like I said, uh, I, I, I just found myself doing it from the age of 14. So, um, and I guess there was a point in my life when I was um, just out of school and I decided to go on the road full-time in a band with my, with my brother in Australia instead of getting a a job, um, you know, instead of getting a nine-to-five job, I decided to go on the road and, um, I suppose, take a little bit of a risk there, actually, you know, being in the life of a musician is very, um, you know, there's no, there's no security, really, with what's going to happen with the music, we don't, we never got into it for security, we got into it to explore and have fun and, and, um, you know, just yeah, follow the musical journey, as you were uh, mentioning earlier. And uh, what happens is you, uh, you take those risks time and time again, and you're usually uh, rewarded, you're constantly rewarded with um, bigger and better and brighter um, you know, situations and happenings every time. I mean, were you treated fairly? Uh, you, were th- you were 13, or were you older when you went on the road for the first time? When I left school, yeah, so I was in my 20s. So, I mean, you know, like Stan Getz would go on the road, the saxophone player, and this is a completely different time, and maybe this isn't applicable to you, but, you know, he would go on the road with Jack Teagarden uh, 364 days a year, and he was in ninth grade, much younger than you were. Uh, And he'd be like, um, um, you know, uh, the older guys would come up to him and say, "Um, that woman has a... Uh, sexual disease you're gonna sleep with her tonight um there were uh, drummers growing up uh older than me that you know one guy would turn around a saxophone player and say yo play this and then 
another saxophone player would turn around and say, no, no, play this. And they, they were screwing with each other, and they were also screwing with, with this drummer that I'm talking about. Looking back on it, the, that this drummer, Johnny Vidakovich, said that those lessons, those jokes that they were playing on him, screwing with him, so to speak, actually allowed him to play the most authentic music that he could possibly play. And I'm wondering, like, did you have some adversity early on that allowed you to, to grow your constitution, to grow on the bandstand, to become who, where you are today? Um, I never had any uh, adversity through music or through the bands that I was with. I was always incredibly lucky. I was with a band called Copper Lips in Australia with my brother, as I mentioned, and um, we were all about the same age and just like, you know, which I guess probably helped going through this, the experience for the first time all together. And uh, um, nothing but supportive. And uh, it was a wonderful learning experience because we all had different tastes. One of the guys was way into sax and, and soul and funk. Another guy was, you know, deep into jazz. And um, I was listening to a little bit more pop, pop rock stuff. And, and my brother was heavy into blues. So um, it, was, it was a really great experience. And uh, as I got older and, and went out and worked, um, playing my own band, I um, guess I was the boss in that situation. So I wasn't... <laughs> I couldn't be treated badly. Or they kicked out of the band, I suppose. Well, how how have you? I mean, I guess what I'm trying to say. I, I think it's a little bit. I mean, how did you? How have you grown as a musician? You only grow through adversity. So, can you point to a time in your? Well, I got adversity through other things in my life, not through music. So, um, you know, I didn't have the I guess, um, could you relate a song or something within your bag that, I mean, you probably, I would assume, have created material based on the adversity. Can you, can you, can you point to a specific tune? I mean, I don't, I understand that it could be a, I mean, it's, you're lucky that it's been smooth sailing, but I mean, leadership on the bandstand. I'm not saying my life's been smooth sailing. I'm not saying my life's been smooth sailing at all. I'm just saying the music was. Right. So, I mean, have you, have you channeled that, have you channeled that, have you channeled that life experience into your music? Could you give an example? Of course. Of course. Um, you know, um, you know, a lot of it's really personal and that's why I write songs. So, you know, I, I get it out. Um, anything that I'm going through, I, I put into words, I put into melody, I put into, and, you know, um, so, you know, I don't really want to talk about it, any specific life um, adversity moment right now, you know, so it's kind of personal. I mean, is there a song that you, is there a song that you can point to that, that, that you can talk about that relates to something without re revealing anything too personal? Oh, I'm going to say that pretty much all of my songs come out of some adversity. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that, I mean... I am a blues and soul performer and Americana, and as you know, most songwriters um, find it, well, you know, a lot of songwriters find it easier to write about situations that are hard in their life, so um, and it helps you get clarity on the hard things that you're trying to sort out and go through. Um, 
all of my music, all of my songs uh, come out of that I've written. Um, you know, I would I'd say sorry that you know majority of them have been some other co-writes and things I've done and, um, that have been a little more light-hearted, but it's pretty rare. You know, most of them come out of like I said, hard times. So. Um, you know, on my, my new album, which is Living With Your Ghost, um, you know, that talks about a relationship uh, that ended and, um, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of songs are about that. But, um, yeah, there's, there's plenty of things. There's plenty of things, but I would really prefer listeners to go in and, and find their own meaning out of those songs, and I think a lot of them are also very self-explanatory and they dig into the lyrics and listen to it for themselves. Um, I'm just curious about, um, you know, Buzzy Feet and a uh, great drummer for Paul Butterfield. Uh, he, he was really great drummer. I mean, a great uh, guitarist, period. And he talked about um, liking, you know, we're very much in this sort of era of chops and facility. And um, some people would say, uh, you know, uh, just a lot of, improvisation and he talked about basically um really wanting for him when he first started to play his guitar he was more interested in learning what um or or liking the sound that was coming out of his guitar before he worked on chops and we let in with a clip of you uh, improvising and you obviously have the ability to stretch out quite a bit i mean you can play as many bars as you want but did you did you focus first on liking the sound that was coming out of your apparatus? Uh, yeah, I would say yes. Yeah, that's, that's pretty important. It's pretty important. Um, uh, absolutely, like, you know, hearing the notes in your head, um, playing something that sounds good will inspire you to play another melody that follows, follows that. And um, also just really listening into <clears throat> the sentiment of the song that you're playing and the music around you, I think, helps you play the right thing also. Um, you know, chops or how fast you can play or, um, you know, it's, it's never really something that's uh, driven me. That's more just about making them... Um, uh, Something sound, making things sound uh, genuine and, and new and fresh and beautiful. When did you, I mean, have you, did you, um, when did you learn to, I guess, improvise or change the, the themes and the, and the variations of songs? I mean, there's nothing worse in my mind than um, going to see a show that's a formula trip where you just see the same thing every night. I mean, the, the Who has been playing the same show for the last 40 years. I mean, people want to hear that, but there's just nothing. I don't get off on that kind of stuff. So um, when did you start to, when did you start, how did you learn to improvise? Did you, was it formal? Was it, or is it just sort of, or you were more of a street scholar? Um, I actually had a, a guitar teacher that uh, taught me how to improvise when I was about 15. And, um, I think within the, yeah, you know, I had a guitar teacher before that as well. I was just, I was just drumming and singing and playing guitar. But um, 
then uh, Mark Williams was his name in Australia in the second lesson pretty much just showed me a few blues boxes, a few pentatonic scales, and just said, go for it. Play whatever sounds good for you. And um, he said, you know, if something sounds really sweet for you, um, focus, you know, maybe hang a little longer on those notes. So, yeah, he, he got me going soloing, you know, straight, straight away. Where, where do you, I mean, at this, I mean, you're, you, yeah. I, I'm curious about like, I mean, if I went to one of your shows and when, you, like when you, you have a, a deep bag of tunes, original tunes, um, do you play the same song? This, do you ever play the same song the same way once? Or is it directly off uh, the album that, that you, the way, the way it's crafted in the studio? Oh, um, it's, it's, uh, oftentimes has some, some variation. I definitely stretch out a little bit more live, um, you know, like sing solos and, you know, if I pass the solo as well to another member of the band and they're having fun and stretch it out, um, you know, I think that's also always adds a good energy to the, to the song. Um, it's general form that we go by, but yeah, I do, um, I, I try to stretch out while um, maintaining the um, integrity of the song. Well, I guess my my question is, how have you gotten out of your own way? Uh, so, how do in what way does that? To, um, well, I mean, what I, I mean, uh, I, I guess have you? To me, um, what is the thing that? you're trying to grow the most in as, as, as a musician and as a leader? I mean, is it the idea that, is it taking chances? Is it letting go of control? Is it, you know, um, communication on the bandstand, allowing people to be themselves? I'm trying to get it. I, I mean, I, I'm trying to get it. This is like an eternal, this is the forever journey. And so I'm trying to figure out where you're at in your musical paradigm, what you're trying to grow in the most um, and I just speak for myself and other people. I mean, I'm not a musician, but a lot of people, a lot of band leaders, they have a hard time. They have a hard time letting go of control. And I'm just curious about where you're at and what you need to grow in. Um, you think musicians have a hard time letting go of control? Band leaders do. All right. Um, Oh, I don't know. Well, I guess I have no problem letting go of control, letting the music uh, go where it needs to be, letting the music show you, you know, what to play, not, um, yeah, just following what's right, following what's happening in the room, following what's happening with the audience, following what's happening in the moment. Um, I'm quite happy with things changing in the moment, and... I think, you know, just really listening and, and paying attention to what's going on around you is a good way to get out of your own way. You know, listening really in music, I think, is just to the other players and, and, and what's going on um, instead of, you know, focusing on so solidly on one, what your own part's doing. Um, I think it's, it's really, really important. You know, I'm always curious about this, too. I mean, just the idea of um, in the past you would have uh, 
a record label and the records themselves, because it was an industry, they'd, they'd make so much profit that the artists like Carl Granger or Joni Mitchell or James Taylor or whoever it was, they'd, they'd, they'd go out on tour and the, the record companies would sign a check for $18,000 in losses because they were making so much money off the records themselves that they basically funded the tours for these people. And I'm, I was just hoping you could talk to the audience about once you make a record, um, how do you go on tour? How have you developed an identity outside of, uh, I mean, where are the hotbeds of, of Cara Granger's live musical experience? And then how do you develop an identity uh, in this current musical paradigm? Um, well, you know, what, what I do is, um, I definitely have, have been touring, you know, America more in the last couple of years, and, um, thankfully my, uh, agent and I have managed to, to get me out to a, a lot of more territories and, and states that I haven't been before, which is really, um, really, really nice, and, um, I think after a couple of years of doing that I'm starting to notice definitely that uh, people are coming back to the shows and it's very encouraging and we're getting more and more people every time so that's um, you know it's just a I think it's a, a slow building process I suppose you know I think I've been doing this uh, since I was doing since I was 22 <laughs> and um, it's been in this day and age it's been growing and my career has been changing and evolving and um but uh always always moving forward it's just i think things happen i don't know in, in my musical genre there's, there's still many different ways people make it happen in the music world and the music paradigm as you say the way the way i'm doing it it is one way you know can you give an example of uh, <laughs> a regional area in the country that you know you showed up the first time and kind of an unknown, but um, because of the vibe and the music, uh, you know, you've begun to develop a following? Um, yeah, I had a lot of support in Colorado, and, um, you know, it's, it's interesting too when there was a few people around the country that really championed me and, um, you know, spread the word throughout the community. And that, that really helped a lot. There was some people in Colorado, some people in North Carolina. Um, and, uh, you know, just recently I was in, um, uh, up in Minnesota and I, I, re I discovered what a huge, I guess you, you guys know already, being from America, but, you know, they're so supportive of live music up there in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul. And that was a wonderful Turnout in Wisconsin. So, um, yeah, there's been quite a few states around the country now that I've, that I've felt a lot of love from, which is great. I mean, is there, would you, would you say that there's a regional sound uh, in Australia, especially growing up um, before we were fully interconnected? Um, you know, you had, you had, uh, you had Motown in Detroit, you had Chicago, New York, Atlanta, Miami, Houston, L.A., San Francisco. All of those regions had their own distinct sound. 
Could you talk to my audience about the regional sound of Australia, the way you saw it and heard it growing up? Actually, the blues scene was really, really popular where, um, when I was growing up and I just left, left school. And a lot of the live bars were all all playing soul and funk and blues on the street um, in the city, in the inner city of Sydney. It was really healthy. And, um, you know, there were some great bands that, um, you know, developed a little bit of a, a style out of that. There was um, like the Bondi Cigars. Brody King and the Mighty Weepers and um, bands that were um, just had a great, you know, energy performing. And I think, you know, they really, um, really studied the music well too, and just had a lot of love of, of soul music. Um, and uh, you know, at the time, also I guess in the on the pop music scene, you know. It, Definitely, Australian music had a bit of a, quite a raw edge, and it had a grit to it. Kind of um, no, um, some of it's kind of like no frills, just hard edge rock and roll. I'll tell you, like tell it like it is, without any um, <laughs> with no no filler. So that was the the rock and the, the, the rock stuff coming out of there, and the, and the blues and soul was had a real um, warmth kind of funky feel to it and you know and people from there play you know really really loved loved the style of um of american roots and soul and blues music and they and i think they did it a real um yeah they uh they treated treated that style of music really well so that was a good inspiration for me is it like because like you talked about north carolina like appalachia has bluegrass and then you know you go down and you know, there's country music and, you know, uh, the Grand Old Opry and then, you know, and the you had Southern Rock coming out of Macon, Georgia and, um, you know, all sorts of you know, Motown and Detroit. Are there regional pockets within Australia that frequent? I mean, I understand that they adhere to the United States kind of music, but are there regional pockets of music within Australia? Um, you know, probably, but I don't know that much about that, to be honest. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it, you know, we were really, you know, 80% of the stuff we heard on the radio was American. Um, we probably heard, you know, 20% of Australian music, but growing up, I and mean, then I haven't been there for 10 years now, but I managed to, I imagine it's quite different. Um, you know, Melbourne has a real, real healthy arts and culture and music scene and, um, and I think possibly, you know, the soul and funk was a little more popular in, in Sydney. The country music is more popular in the rural areas, of course, you know, out in the country, um, uh, you know, out in the um, farming areas, etc. So uh, small towns and all that country is huge. So, you know, um, yeah, that's kind of similar to here. The big cities, like the kind of, and and <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, well, I mean, um, like, you know, I, I'm, yeah, country airs like the country. You, you have not, uh, you have no, no desire or, um, to go back and perform in, in your homeland, or why is this? No, I do go back and perform in Australia occasionally. Yeah. Oh, you said you haven't been back in a while, but you, 
So when was I mean? Oh, I haven't lived there for ten years. Yeah, but you still go no, back. I mean, so you go, but you still go back and perform. I mean, how? Yeah. Why? Why? Tell me why. You know, like with jazz, so many of the great masters, the African American cats, they left the United States to go to move to Europe because of the cultural bias. And I believe that there's a lot of cultural bias in Australia as well. Um, but the idea that the music that was that's called jazz, and I don't like labels per se, but you know, it was created here, but it's universally respected everywhere but here. Uh, I know you're not a jazz player, but I'm just curious as to why you choose to live and 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 make a livelihood in America. There's more people here, and so um, there's basically within every music genre, there's a bigger, you know, there's fan bases, there's groups of people, there's 300 million people here, or, and, or more. There's only 20 million, so it's very hard to uh, maintain a, a music career in Australia with that kind of people, that number of people. Um, That's all. Right. No, uh, completely. Uh, again, I ask you. Um, you clearly are on your journey, but as a as a musician, what are you trying to grow in the most right now? So, what am I trying to grow in the most? Yeah, I mean, clearly you didn't come out of suburbia. There's a lot of cats that are singing the blues, but it's really hard to sing the blues when you come out of suburbia. You've obviously had a lot of adversity, and you sing authentically. But I'm curious. From the whole point of view, uh, from the entire paradigm, what are you trying to work on uh, in your constitution as a musician? Oh, uh, well, um, you know, I would say blues is a very small part of what I do. Um, I do play some blues festivals and around the country, and, you know, I grew up listening to it and enjoying it. I also grew up listening to soul and country and ACDC and um, jazz as well. So, um, you know, I guess um, I would just, I'd probably what I'm trying to grow into is to develop my songs a little more. I mean, I'm quite proud of my CDs and I think there's some some beautiful pieces that, that we've all recorded. But, uh, yeah, I would possibly like to um, just just continue to work on my um, my songwriting and, and get stronger as a songwriter and uh, I also just um, became I've become a little more interested in the Telecaster recently really uh, really you know I've, I've played well I've played all, I've always played any kind of guitar I mean I've basically started playing Strat and um, you know I, I'll I'll jump over to any any type of guitar. Um, you know, I know it's different tools for different music for different sounds, but um, yeah. So um, I'm not sure where where the, what stylistically I'll, I'll go into, but uh, um, definitely more more emotion. Um, more emotion, really? I mean, yeah. more, more more like yeah, really. More emotion, I don't more Wow, that's. I get more emotion into my songs. Yeah, I dig. No, I, dig. I mean, and you're. I mean. Do you ever play the bass, not the electric bass, but the bass guitar? 
No, oh, not really. I mean, I can very badly. <laughs> so, I mean, you. Let me ask you: in your live performances, obviously, you have a, a wide palette of musical interest. Um, I have not seen you live, but do you try to incorporate? Um, I mean, there was no word for funk um, in our musical lexicon. For it was blues. People would say, "Let's play a funky blues," and then when James Brown came along and people like that, they're like, "Yeah, let's play some funk." But I mean. Do you play jazz? Do you play all types of music at your concerts? Uh, because I'm just curious about how wide a path. Um, yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, my songs are pretty uh, diverse, you know. So I wouldn't. I don't think I. I don't really play any jazz, you know, per se at my concerts. But I'll do something that sounds like a real country song, and then I'll will play something that's very funky, and then something that's more as a little bit of a blues, but and then folky, you know, um, singer-songwriter, Americana, all of that. So it, it's pretty, um, yeah, you know, it, my, my songs just definitely, um, yeah, go from one to extreme to the other and stylistically. Um, so, and do you have a tour coming up? Uh, and do you ever, I mean, I live in Tucson, uh, but I'm just curious about where, um, you know, I mean, uh, you know festivals and things like that. You know, jet, I mean, again, labels have destroyed destroyed musical vocabulary. Um, it's all music to me. Um, but you go to you, you look at a jazz festival, and there's not one jazz musician on the festival, and that's just to be so that they can cover their expenses and bring in money. They're bringing an R and B. Have you been able to avoid being because of your wide because of the bag of tunes you have and the sort of the way you your point of view. Have you been able to avoid being pigeonholed, so to speak, um, in this time of branding? If if so, what would be your advice to those other cats out there who were who were really creatives like yourself, uh, street scholars? Really, um, you weren't academically trained. I don't believe them. You had a couple of teachers and stuff, but um, how do, how do you not get pigeonholed? How do you not get branded in 2019? Uh, well. Um you know, it's. I don't think branding is necessarily a bad thing because actually, there's. If you are branded in the blues community or the Americana community or the jazz world or the country world or whatever you do want to identify yourself with, there's there's community and, and support groups these days and organisations that can all help you as a musician and can help your band. Um, you know, if you really get against the branding and you want to put out a song on YouTube every week that's completely different, then go ahead, you know. Um, maybe one of those will blow up and you'll become a mega star and you won't need it and they won't brand you or, and all they'll just say, hey, that's a, you know, multi-million dollar selling artist. So, you know, there's many ways to do it, I suppose. But I'm not dead against branding because I do see now that, um, you know, within those kind of different genres, it means that there's support systems for people. Right. I mean, that sounds more like you're, you're I'm talking about as the authentic artist not, from a business point of view. Absolutely. But I mean, do you find yourself um, playing blues festivals or country festivals or... I mean, like, have you gone to what's the what's the what's the 
What was the most interesting uh, and unique uh, uh, festival that you've played maybe that was outside of anything you've ever uh, played before? Um, probably the uh, Eclectic Music Festival in Guwahati in India. Wow. Whoa, 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 whoa. Now, you know what I'm trying to get? That's, that's, yeah. that's, so you are, I mean, do you have, after an Indian fashion show, yeah. I mean, did you have like tablas and dumbe? Did you have like Indian drums there or you just played Car Granger uh, style music? Yeah, just played my music, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then there was a couple other bands and there was a fashion show. And, um, so yeah, that was probably, um, I know, that was one of my most unique festivals that I've played at, I suppose. Um, the amount of dates that you play, um, how many dates a year do you play? Uh, probably about 120. That's beautiful. So, I mean, that's a great. And so you are you at a point where you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do? Um, you know, what kind of gigs you want to play, uh, the ones that you really get off on. Um, and how many how much of your performances in the States and how much clearly you're you're all over the map. I mean, how much of it is in the States and how much of it is overseas? Uh, a lot of it's in the States at the moment. Um the last a few years back, I was doing some more, did a few uh, in in the UK and Europe and um, Asia as well. But uh, yeah, it's, it's mainly concentrated here now. But I've also um, started touring quite a bit more to Canada. So yeah, going up there. Final question for you. I know you got to you got to go. Um, uh, just. You know, I, the four L's on my program are, are leadership, love, overcoming adversity, and the lineage of all music. And I just wanted you to talk about your concept of love and um, and how you bring love to the world. Well, it's something, you know, that you, you try, try and put out there every day, absolutely, because the world needs a hell of a lot of it right now, doesn't it, Jake? I've been doing um, it for eight years, Cara. I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, it's uh, everybody more than I, you, ever before. Yeah, I mean, they've been, they, you know, uh, Jackie DeShannon wrote that song about it. But um, uh, how do you try to affect change in your world? Uh, I think that the the music that I play and uh, through my live shows, through my music, I think I do provide um, people with some uh, some mind or I might just make them feel good for, you know, the duration of a song or, or an hour gig. And um, that little bit of, um, you know, good vibrations, I think, uh, then hopefully those people spread on. To, um, and pass on to other people <laughs> that they pass on the street, etc. And and I think it really does grow. So any little bit that you can pass on helps. You know, change somebody's one person's day, and then I'll change another ten people's day, etc. So yeah, it all helps. Um, have you ever actually? I mean, have you left your physical body on the bandstand? 
Well, welcome to the Jake Feinberg show, my friend. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I mean, there, and I'm not talking, I mean, there are people like Bill, Billy Cobham who um, have never done drugs in their lives, but just through sheer exhaustion after Mahavishnu Orchestra tour, on the second set of the last show, he's looking at the side of the stage. I mean, he's seen himself play drums on the side of the stage. You know, he had left his physical, wow. you know, and there's a lot of people that literally, and it's all different forms. Uh, some people just won't remember anything about the gig. But to me, that's the magic of music. And I think the significance of music in our culture, music across the board, has changed. It's become for pa made for pacification. It's made for multitasking, uh, even live shows with the advents of smartphones. Um, and I do plenty of Facebook lives at these shows, but I always make it a point after 20 minutes to put it away and have a completely cathartic out-of-body experience. Let the body dance. Have you had that kind of, I guess I would love you if you could share an example of something along those lines where you started to operate on, on that frequency because that frequency is very special. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, and it happens um, pretty pretty frequently. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, you know, you've been playing a solo and you shut your eyes and you don't remember a thing that you played. You know, that happens um, a lot. Yeah, through through um, usually usually during a through a solo where you can really let go and you don't have to think about what chords you're playing, etc. So. Um, or when I'm singing occasionally, but uh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll have complete complete blackouts pretty much uh, quite often through um, when I'm playing, and then <laughs> somehow manage to get through to the other side of the solo. I don't know, um, you know, quite how that happens or why it happens, but yeah, and, and you know, it's often uh, those those are the solos that you usually get the best applause for for whatever reason. And then, oh, well, it's beautiful. I, I love what you're channeling. I mean, are you? Do you um, have any gigs locally coming up? I'm looking at this festival that you, you put up uh, in Grass Valley in July. Um, I'll be actually moderating a Woodstock 50th anniversary uh, symposium in San Francisco. But I, I'm on the road quite a bit, and I, I was hoping I could come catch catch a gig if you have any coming up. Yeah, so um, whatever. I've got uh, a few in Texas coming up. Um, I don't think they're on my website yet, but um, that'll be that'll be updated soon, I'm sure. And uh, yeah, there's a festival. The Gulf Coast Blues Society is putting on a festival there on May 11th. Um, the Dallas International Guitar Show, fourth uh, and fifth of May. A few other things around Texas as well. Um, and then I'm going up to Colorado, to Greeley, and a couple of shows around there in June. Um, July, there'll be quite a few around California, as well as Grass Valley. Um, and then uh, Michigan, Ann Arbor Blues Festival in uh, August. So um, wow. there's, there's a few coming up yeah you're gonna be busy that's great I, well i mean it was I, I had a ball i'm 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 i appreciate you going there with me um and um and i, I look forward to uh to seeing you live in person uh uh you know lo leaving your physical body all right <laughs> <laughs> um 
Yeah, and I do. Um, I've, I've played Phoenix and uh, Tucson a couple of times, so um, I w- I'll definitely let you, let you know if I am get back through there before long. What, do you know the dates on the Colorado? I'm just gonna I'm gonna be up in Colorado in, in June. Do you know when those dates are? I can check. Gre- um, just look up the Greeley Greeley Blues Jam, and that'll tell you. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, if you're coming locally, let me know. I I uh, I definitely love to promote you on on new media as well. So, um, yeah, I think you, it's the sixth, maybe the seventh, sixth, seventh, and eighth up at Greeley. Sixth, seventh, and eighth. And you're playing all three nights. Uh, definitely the seventh and eighth, actually. Wow, that might just go down. That's pretty. That's pretty hip. I look for. I can't wait, Car. Um, bless you, my friend. It was really an honor to hang with you. Thank you. Yeah, likewise. All right. Well, I appreciate it. And um, yeah, tell everyone to uh, go out and buy my latest CD, download it, Living With Your Ghost. <laughs> I'm going to be transcribing. Um, I'm going to be, I mean, uh, all the transcriptions I put up, I'll be transcribing some of, of the more salient things that you've been talking about and putting them out on new media. Right. So I will make sure that, that people are aware of the new CD. What, what's the name of it? Ghost? What is it called? Living, living with your ghost. Oh man! I mean, there's just so many stories that you need. We need to extract about. Unbelievable, huge bag from <laughs> from Car Granger, and uh, bless you, my friend. You keep going, keep doing your thing. Thank you, thank you. All right, later. All right. On. Yeah. Well, yeah. Have a good night. Yeah. Day. Bye. Thanks. Bye bye. Wow, F- fantastic. Uh, live performer and studio musician Car Granger. And we'll be back tomorrow with drummer Danny Loring. Until then, this is the Jake Feinberg Show. Have a great day. Peace.